Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with you here in the sanctuary, and it's good to be in the middle of this sermon series called Blueprints, and it's certainly a critical series for the time we find ourselves as a church and as a denomination. We talked about uh, two weeks ago, I did, and I want to thank you again for coming to the auditorium for one uh, uh, large gathering at 9 and 1045, but we talked about the need for a firm foundation that there'll be storms and trials and tests and tribulations, but we will stand the test when we put our faith in the words of Jesus Christ and put them into practice. As I've been walking around today, I've been totally blown away by what's going on in the life of the church. Um, the uh, auditorium is totally full over there. We've got 235 people worshiping off-site with 77 confirmands who are in, in the middle of a confirmation class, so that's incredible. We have uh, uh, the largest new member class this afternoon with over 140 people registered. Uh, and then today, uh, just a little bit ago, someone gave me the largest one-time gift that's ever been given to Mount Horb. So I'm, I'm really good. I'm, we can go ahead and say amen, and we can, you know, get up. Anyway, so, so I say all that to say that in the midst of a difficult season, uh, a, a, a time of discernment and prayer, we want to continue to stand on the Word of God. And God is blessing our church in ways that we've never seen before. Now, let me shift gears and tell you that uh, I'm not a big NFL fan. Uh, and so I don't have time today to watch the games, but I probably wouldn't anyway. But I am a big fan of Brock Purdy, right? The last pick in the 2022 NFL draft, Mr. Irrelevant. And he could be the first rookie quarterback to lead his team to the Super Bowl. Now, I read an interview uh, that he gave this past week, and he said, I'm a faith-based guy, so that that's how I stay grounded in my life. I don't look at football as everything. It's not a do-or-die thing for me. It's a game. It's my job. I take it seriously, but at the end of the day, I know I'm not defined by wins or losses as a person. I'm not just a quarterback. I wasn't born to be just a quarterback and play football. At Iowa State, when he was the quarterback there, Brock Purdy asked God to forgive him for putting the sport he loved ahead of his relationship with God. Now, I'm a fan. I think all of us, at some point in our life, have to deal with that issue. Are we putting in front of God the things that we love more than God? Brock Purdy, after praying that prayer, said it was a great reminder of where my identity is and where it lies, and it's in Jesus Christ. And I continue to lean on him. Again, the next day, I didn't go out and throw for 500 yards and become this awesome quarterback, but it was a piece that I knew that no matter what I face moving forward in football, God and Jesus Christ is my identity. And whatever I face, I won't be shaken because I've got a great foundation in him. Now, I hope Brock Purdy beats your team today. So, because he's building his life on a solid foundation of Jesus Christ. You know, today we shift our thinking on blueprints from the outside of the house, the structural foundation, to what goes on inside the house. Today, I want to talk to you about the occupants and the opportunities when God is in the house doing the life in the house that God wants us to live. 
I'm, I'm mindful of what Joshua said. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A solid foundation. Now, Chad's preaching over in the auditorium. He's got a great sermon. I've heard great feedback on it. I borrowed a couple paragraphs, but this is what I want to say. He's going to drill down more into this, so I would encourage you to listen to his sermon. But he said this, friendship in America has been in decline, a trend that has accelerated during the pandemic. Three decades ago, 3% of Americans told the Gallup posters they had no close friends. In, 19, in 2021, an online poll put it at 12%. And about a year into the pandemic, 13% of women and 8% of men aged 30 to 49 said they had lost touch with most of their friends. You know, we need community in order to grow as Christians. I was reading this morning, looking back over our core values, and one of our core values is better together. And it says, and we, I remember we, we worked on these at the Billy Graham uh, compound up in North Carolina, and we spent a long time building these core values and I love what Better Together says. It says, the full life of God meets us in a unique way as we move closer together in relationships. Our shared life is one of the primary ways in which we encounter God for ourselves and prove to the watching world our relationship with Jesus Christ is real. Now, one of the reasons people are disengaged from church, Big C Church, is because they're not sure God is real. And one reason they're not sure God is real is because they don't see God real in our lives. And if we're going to be the community of faith that is making an impact for the kingdom of God, people need to see that Jesus Christ is real. Not just in this building, not just in this room, not just in the auditorium, not just on this campus, but in your home. When people see that Jesus Christ is real in your home, they say, I want some of that. I need that for my home because my home is falling apart. So today I have a lot of scripture. So you have to go along with me. They'll be on the screens, but you can use your Bible app or your Bible and kind of stay with us. But, it, but it's really fascinating to see how Jesus moved from the synagogue into homes and, and the history of all that that took place. And I want to look then for some application. Throughout history, the Jewish folks had to go to the synagogue. They had to go to the temple to hear about God, to hear from God, and to have their sins forgiven. And Jesus worshiped at the synagogue. And, and maybe you think, hey, I got to come to church to hear about God, to hear from God, and have my sins forgiven. Well, let me just say right off the bat, you don't have to come to church to have your sins forgiven. You don't have to come to church to hear from God or to hear about God. It can happen anywhere, anytime, anyplace. And God wants us to, to be happening in our homes as well. Now, I love the passage in Luke 4 where Jesus came to Nazareth where he'd been raised. As he always did on the Sabbath, he went to the meeting place. And when he stood to read, he was handed the scrolls of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor. Sent me to announce pardon to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burdened and the battered free, to announce this is God's time to shine. And if you read the text, I love what it says, is that Jesus sat down. It was one of those drop mic situations where he declared that God was present through 
the Son of God, through Jesus Christ, God was present in him, and the message was the good news of the gospel. Now, as I work my way through this sermon today, I'm going to read a lot of scripture to you, and I wanted you to just marinate on what Jesus was doing in people's homes. How many of you have been watching uh, the series, The Chosen, right? The Chosen. Um, some of you have led a Bible study on it here at the church, Chosen. Uh, Lynn and I have, have got through the first two seasons, and, and I've been fascinated as it's captured the life of Jesus. Now, there's some fictional kinds of things there, and there's certainly woven in their biblical truth, but, it, but it's fascinating to see all the time that Jesus spent in the synagogue teaching, proclaiming the gospel, the good news, forgiving sins, and performing miracles, but it's also eye-opening to me to, to get perspective on how much time Jesus spent in people's homes, how much time he spent in houses that he was invited into. In fact, there's over 50 times in the Gospels that we find Jesus in houses. Luke records 11 times Jesus visited homes. Eight were friendly visits, and three, it was a trap hoping to catch Jesus so they could accuse him, even arrest him. Now, many of you here listening today or online uh, have a small group or a neighborhood group, and, and I want to thank you for doing that. Um, but I want to encourage all of us in this church at some point to get involved in more community, get, to get involved with bringing people into your homes where Jesus Christ can be present and at work. Uh, as we look to the future of Mount Horeb, I believe it's really important that we strengthen our discipleship, our leadership development, and our community of faith. And one of the ways we do that is by moving out of this house and moving out into the community uh, where God can be at work in our, in our houses. So I love this text uh, from Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, where it says, the writer says this, let us hold on to the hope we say we have and not be changed. We can trust God that he will do what he promised. Let us help each other to love others and to do good. Let us not stay away from church meetings. Some people are doing this all the time. None of you here today. Comfort each other as you see the day of his return coming near. Now, there's no question that one of the um, lingering side effects of COVID has been the decline of church attendance across America. Not across the world, but in America, where we tend to be uh, creatures of habit, right? And people have gotten out of the habit of going to God's house. And I would encourage all of you, those listening online and all of us, and it's wonderful to see this good crowd here today. We had, again, almost a full room in the auditorium. It's great to come together in the big house, right? To be together with God's people, to hear incredible music, to be inspired by music, scripture, praying together and reading God's word together. Uh, let's not stay away from meeting together. Uh, let's continue to grow that. But let's meet together so well that we run out of room. How about that? You know, I, I remember when we built this room uh, in the year 2000 and we added a balcony uh, as kind of an afterthought because we didn't think we'd ever need it. Um, but let's stick it up there. And, and you know, what, what's, what, this is a confession, and I, I need to ask for your forgiveness. Um, you know, we never really intended to have the balcony. Say hello to the people in the balcony today. They have a little bit of balcony people. Um, but, you know, those folding chairs were never meant to be the permanent chairs in the balcony. 
But those folding chairs have been up there since 2000. Don't you think it's time we put some chairs in the balcony? I think people are about It's here to stay, right? And then we outgrew this room. We built the other auditorium uh, and God. It's great for God's house to run out of room because guess what? God's got plenty of room at your house right? And we can expand ministries into your house because Jesus wants to come to your house. So what happens when Jesus comes to your house? Jesus did the same things in homes, hear this, that he did in the synagogue. In the homes, he taught, he shared the gospel, he performed miracles. And we need to be intentional about inviting Jesus Christ into our homes. So I want to give you some texts today, different texts, of where Jesus Visit home. I'm not going to give you all 50. I'm not going to give you all 11, but I'm going to give you five, okay? Uh, And what happened when Jesus went into the house and people's houses? First thing happened was restoration. Restoration. Luke 4. He went out of the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was taken ill from a high fever, and they asked him about her. So he stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and served them. Now, when the sun was setting... All those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. You see, when Jesus is in your house, people will be able to lay down their burdens. When Jesus is in your house, you can pray for people to get better. You can even pray for people to get healed because Jesus is the great physician. Now, restoration, the second thing that happens when Jesus comes to your house is repentance. Repentance. Again, from Luke's gospel, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down for supper. There a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she had learned that Jesus was sitting for for supper in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment and stood behind him at his feet, weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in your house, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who sat at supper with him began to say to themselves, who is he who even forgives sins? He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, I believe when people come to your house and Jesus is in the house, people can check their shame at the door. And failure is never final when the father's in the house. And there's worship that takes place in the the house where Jesus is because people's lives are transformed and people's lives are changed. So we got restoration, we got repentance, and then how about this one? Could it happen at your house if Jesus is in the house? Resurrection. Then a man named Jairus, who was ruler of the synagogue, came and fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. When's the last time you begged Jesus to come to your house? Sometimes we want to keep him away from our house. Begged him to come to his house, for he had had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. 
I know there's people in the room here listening where you're praying for your children because spiritually they may be dying and you're praying for them to be resurrected to new life. Bring them to Jesus. Invite Jesus into the house. You know, I forget my mother-in-law who passed away a year ago, November. She always made sure that Jesus was welcome in her house. And whenever there was a guest in the house or somebody, and occasionally much sometimes to our um, being anxious about it, she would invite people to her house. And there were some, some unruly people she invited to her house at times. And but what my mother-in-law would do, she would anoint her doors and her windows with oil, knowing that the power of Jesus was greater than any problem somebody might have at her house. Well, as he went, the, the people crowded around Jesus. While he was still speaking, someone from the synagogue ruler's house came saying to Jairus, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be made well. And when he came into the house, when he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, John, and James, and the father and mother of the girl all wept and mourned for her. But he said, do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Sometimes we make the same mistake. We laugh at the possibility, at the opportunity of what God can do in our midst. They laughed at him knowing that she was dead, but he put them all outside and took her by the hand and called saying, little girl, rise. Her spirit returned and she rose immediately and he told them to give her food. Her parents were astonished, but he commanded them to tell no one what had happened. You see, when Jesus is in the house, the helpless find help, and the hopeless find hope, and the dead come back to life. You know, there is a need in this country of ours, in this culture of ours, in this community of ours, for, for, for our children and for our youth to be alive in Christ. And I'm so thankful that we have 77 youth at a confirmation retreat today hearing about Jesus Christ. I want Jesus Christ to be in the house with my grandchildren. I want them to hear about Jesus. I want them to know Jesus. I pray for them every day that they would know Jesus Christ. There is resurrection, there's repentance, and there's restoration. And this is what we're really good at. This is something that we really excel in. Now, you know what it is, right? It's refreshment. You know, I come to your house, you got all kinds of goodies. All kind, can I get you something to drink? Can I get you some food? You know, we, 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 we Christians love to eat together, right? So we got that, we can check that box on refreshment. But there's something more deep. You know, I, don't, I love, again, the story where Jesus meets the woman at the well. And he told her, what, you've been married five times? And the man you're currently living with in your house is not your husband? And you're searching for water that won't satisfy. But I can give you some water that'll make you thirst no more. Because you're looking in all the wrong places. Refreshment. But in Luke 22, we find the greatest story of refreshment. It's something we still do in the church. We still practice this incredible sacrament. He answered, see, when you go into the city, you'll meet a man carrying a jar of water. Follow him. What? into the house where he goes and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, where is the room you keep for friends where I may eat the special supper with my followers? It's a great question, isn't it? 
Is Jesus asking you, where's the room that you invite other believers into so they can hear and receive and be refreshed? He will take you to a large room on the second floor with everything in it, make ready for use, make it ready for us. They went and found everything that Jesus said. They got ready for a special supper. So I love that. You got, you got uh, when Jesus is in the house, you got restoration, you got repentance, you got resurrection, you got refreshment. And I ran out of ours, so I needed one more. And this is my favorite one of all of them, is that when you have refreshment and you have repentance and you have restoration, you have resurrection, you know what's going to happen at your house? You're going to run out of room. You're going to run out of room because people want to come to your house. Because there's something happening at your house. Boy, that small group you're in, I hear incredible things about that small group. How did I get in a small group? Because I'm hearing that God is moving in powerful ways. I had to go to Mark to find this one, Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Run out of room. We got a lot of houses Represented in this church. It'd be incredible if we ran out of room, wouldn't it? Because we're inviting Jesus into our houses. Whenever I was a student at Moorhead State University, uh, we, we began a Bible study in our dorm room. And the word spread. Uh, it moved out into the hallway. We had people lined in the hallway doing Bible study. And the fire marshal shut us down, right? So we had to move off campus. But the word spread and people wanted to come because there were students that were hungry to hear about Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you that we live in a world right now where people are hungry to hear about Jesus Christ. And they want to know that he's real. And they want to know that he's real in your life. Now, following the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the new church being launched, what happened? Because of persecution and because of excommunication, the early Christians were run out of the synagogues. They were run out of the temples and they had to go to the homes. So Jesus was preparing these disciples on how to do ministry in a pre-Christian world. In a world that had not yet received Christ, he showed them this is how you do it. You go into your homes and you, and you, and you, and you lift me up there. Now, I believe in pretty much the, the, the statistics show us this, that we're living in a post-Christian world. There's a lot of people that will not come to the big house, but they will come to your house. And you invite them there and you share with them the love of God. And hopefully one day they'll come to worship with you. But they can meet Jesus Christ in your house long before they meet Jesus Christ here. And some of you like for me to do that for you. You know, you got somebody and you want them to come and, hey, I'll bring them to church. And Pastor Jeff or Chad or Emma or Bryce or Trevor, you all preach to them. That's all we're called to do. And we love to do that. But you need to be able to share the gospel with people, the love of God with people, that God loves them and God has a purpose and a plan for their life. Well, these, these church homes that people went into, fascinating, and this is something that I, that I did not fully know, is I, I knew that the early church uh, met in the homes of wealthy believers. Uh, but the reason they met in the homes of wealthy believers is because there was more room. They had bigger houses. In fact, they had villas. In fact, they had compounds. And these Early church homes could seat 50 to 60, sometimes as much as 150 people because there was room in the house. We have bigger houses here in this community than most places. 
In fact, our team is in Liberia building a very small house for people. And you can't get many people in those Liberian houses. But most of us can get a lot of people in our houses to share the good news of Jesus. But then this strange thing happened around 300 A.D. when uh, Christianity became the, uh, the, the, the religion of the Roman Empire. The church started building buildings and building sanctuaries and building cathedrals. And that has served the church well. And I don't think, I'm not saying it has to be either or. It can be both and. And then people started leaving their homes and going into these buildings. But in recent years, all over the world, mostly because of persecution, Christians are again gathering in homes because they are safe. There are parts of our world that people can't gather like we gather here because it's not safe. And so they go into people's homes to be saved. So I want to say a word about safe houses for a moment. And one thing we talked about building on a foundation that when the storms and the wind and the rain and the floods come, your house doesn't fall because it is a safe house because it's built on a good foundation. In this post-Christian world, we need some safe houses where people feel safe to receive the gospel. I love this passage out of Psalm 9 from the message paraphrase. God's safe house for the battered. God's a safe house for the battered. A sanctuary during bad times. The moment you arrive, you relax and you're never sorry you knocked. God's house is a safe house for the battered, for the persecuted during the bad times. I was reading about a ministry uh, uh, this week uh, called Help the Persecuted. It's a ministry that invites believers to become the hands and feet of Christ to our brothers and sisters who are in danger around the world. This new believer in the Middle East received this email, if you do not revert back from Christianity, you'll be destined to death. The same day, the father of that believer received two bullets in the mail with this note. This letter is a warning. We have received confirmed information about the behavior of your ignorant son and his views that are against Islam. He's been, we're aware of his connections and we're going to have to punish him. May God help us to execute him. That type of persecution is intense all over the world. In China, in, it is immense persecution there for, Christianity, for Christians. Many converts to Christianity expect to lose their lives for Christ. When they commit to Christ, they expect to lose their, lose their lives for Christ. One wrote, I know, we'll be, we, I know we will be killed, but we want to be baptized first. I'm not going to die for this, but can I get baptized first? That's the world that millions of people live in today. So this morning, I'd ask you, is your house a safe house? Or is your house a castle with a moat around it? Is your house a mission station, a safe place for people to come and experience the good news of the love of God? Now, who's in the house? It's a great question, isn't it? In the first century, Christians desperately needed each other, and they knew it. They knew they could not make it in the faith without each other. Today's persecuted believers know how desperately they need each other, that they cannot defeat the evil one and be a light for Christ without the encouragement of each other. But Christians in the West and Christians in this community sometimes 
desperately need each other just as much, but we don't know it. Or we've forgotten it. And we think that we can go it alone. I was talking with someone yesterday who was sharing with me about a pastor who life was coming apart. And one of the things that they share with this pastor is that you don't need to go in isolation. Now is when you need the community of faith more than ever. And that's what the evil one does. The evil one puts us in isolation to pick us off. We come into the community to find strength and encouragement. I love what Chad wrote as he was for his message over there. I want you to go listen to it. He says, we are only as deep with God as we are with other people. The goal of the spiritual life is a transformed heart rooted in Christ. But this does not happen alone. We are made to reach our full potential in community. And when we struggle, we need a brother or sister to offer us strength in Christ. When we sin, we need a brother and a sister to give us the forgiveness of Christ. When we're weak, we need Christ in our brother and sister who is strong. This is how we know God's presence and God's promise. That's how we know that God is real. And that's how other people see that Jesus Christ is real. Again, in my text today, Hebrews 10, let us help each other to love others. Let us help each other to do good. Let us not stay away from God's house. Comfort each other as you see the day of his return coming near. Proverbs 13, 20 says it this way, Becoming, become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. No truer words have been spoken about community. When I was in seminary, Dr. Don Joy, my favorite professor of, of uh, moral development, he asked us the question, who's holding your trampoline? You know, those trampolines are incredibly hard to put together. I've done that. They got a thousand and one springs that are like this big, and they, you got to be, you know, a super giant to be able to pull them apart because they're designed to hold you up. And you don't want to jump on those trampolines if the springs aren't right. And you don't want to do life without somebody holding up your trampoline. Do not linger or lean with the wrong people, or you'll never discover the people God wants you to do life with. Lynn and I's life have been so blessed because of the people that God has brought in our life to do life with. It's made us better. It's made us stronger. It's made us better people and, and better for others. And some of us need to remember Hebrews 13 too, as I think about my mother-in-law and she would always tell us this verse, be not forgetful to entertain strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Again, there are people that we exclude from our houses that may be the very person that God wants us to meet. Now make no mistake that when Jesus went into these houses, he didn't just go into the houses of believers. He didn't just hang out with other believers. He hung out with tax collectors and sinners. In fact, that was one of the reasons he got crucified, because of who he hung out with. And if we're going to be effective in reaching this world, we've got to have some non-Christian friends that we hang out with. We just can't be on an island by ourselves. We need to meet a few tax collectors. Now, don't, you shouldn't become a tax collector, we need to need a few sinners, but you shouldn't become a sinner. But we need to share the love of Christ. And, and, and when we love people and really care about people, we tell them the truth in love and grace. I love what Bonhoeffer said. Nothing can be more cruel 
than the leniency which abandons others to their sins. Jesus did not abandon others to their sins. He shared with them the love of God and that God had a better path and God had a better way. When Jesus is in the house, there should be room for those who need repentance. There should be room for those who need restoration. There should be room for those who need resurrection. There should be room for those who need refreshment when Jesus is in the house. And when those things happen, you will run out of room because people will want to know Jesus. Now, as we enter into 2023, a lot going on in our church. We also want to continue to grow the depth of our leadership and the depth of our discipleship. And so Chad is leading a charge on something called core groups. Here's the definition. A core group is a group of three to five people of the same gender, men together with men, women together with women, who read together, pray together, and meet weekly to become the love of God for one another and the world. So we want you to begin to pray about how can I get involved with some other people to grow in the love of God for each other and for the world. There's a link, I think, on the screen so you can go to that and register and find more information. If you're here today or listening today, I want you to know that the Father's in the house. Somebody say amen to that. Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is in the house. And today, if you need repentance, he will forgive you. If you need restoration, he can give you restoration. If you need resurrection from being dead in your sins and barely functioning, he can give you resurrection. You need life and life abundant, he can give you refreshment because the Father is in the house. You know, when, when Jesus Christ comes, he, he, he comes first to our hearts. He comes into our hearts. And then he comes to our homes. And then we gather together in God's house to celebrate and to grow deeper. My favorite stained glass window here, and I talk about it all the time. I talk about it today in the new member class. The, this one closest to the end. Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the door of their house, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Today, if you've never opened the door of your heart to Jesus Christ, he's knocking. If you note about that picture over there, that beautiful stained glass window, there is no doorknob on the outside. Jesus will not open the door of your heart, but he'll knock and you've got to open the door. And when you do, he comes into your life to bring you new life, and have a meal with you as a friend. Father God, I thank you that today you're in the house with us. In fact, anytime two or three gather together in your name, you're present. I thank you for all the people here that opened up their homes to small groups, and and now as we open up our homes to core groups, and we'll grow as a community of faith and reach this community for you, Father God. Continue to minister to us in our homes. And Lord, I just pray for anyone listening today as they hear and feel and sense you knocking on the door of their heart that they will open up their life to you and when we confess our sins you are faithful and just to forgive us and to give us new life i ask all this in jesus name amen and amen